Hey guys, this episode of Film House is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. We have an awesome deal with them where you get three free meals. Find out more about that later in the episode. But first, let's check out an interview we did with director and producer Neil Blomkamp. He, I don't think I've ever seen anybody more dedicated to games than Stephen Blomkamp. Like it's like it's a whole, it's an order of magnitude greater than any person that I know. That's high praise. Yeah. I will yeah. not tell him you said that. Yeah. <laughs> we should spend some time on here just generally dissing him as well. Yeah, yeah. That's mostly what this interview is about. Is just uh, mostly about crashing Stephen Blomkamp. We right, wanted cool. to make it like just kind of a con like like a casual chat with you two, mm -hmm. not like interrogating you. I, I mean, okay. we're, we're pretty much yeah. starting now. So it's just like, hi, Neil, thanks for joining us. Hi, guys, thank you for having me. Thank you for taking time to talk to us. We're all really excited about uh, Oat Studio and all the stuff you guys have been putting out. Uh, I just finished Firebase, um, okay. excellent cool. short, uh, definitely. But yeah, I, I kind of want to just open up real quick since um, big part of this interview is just to talk about uh, what is Oat Studio all about? Because we did watch your video about what is Oat Studio and we have more questions than answers. I have a lot of questions myself, actually. Um, I think basically what it is 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 a place where um, the, the initial idea was just to try to create a studio that was like completely creative, essentially, and allows me and allows the people that work here to, to try to get as close to being creative and just sort of throwing paint at a canvas as opposed to like overthinking it and over intellectualizing it and making fear-based money-based choices. The problem with that is that you we're still in a situation where we're basically burning money because the business model is, you know, very difficult to figure out. But the idea I think is correct, which is how do you sell stuff directly to the audience with like the the way that you know, 21st century technologies allowed you to interact with them the way that we can now. I don't know how to capitalize on that yet. I don't know whether we should just charge for the shorts. I don't know whether we should like release a feature film traditionally that pays for more shorts. So I don't really know. But I know that it's been two years of uh, very creative, fulfilling stuff. I think it's really cool that you're pushing into a kind of a new uh, medium, a new forefront without, because what a lot of people do is they sit on and they go, how can this make money? You know, they always ask that question first. How can this make money? We're making yeah. a new Transformers movie. How can yeah. it have a Chinese robot <laughs> in it? You know, because that's where we want to get some of that audience. So it's interesting. Right. But it's also like we don't have anything at stake here and it's still kind of scary. You know, the idea of just like jumping into the deep end of a pool, yeah. especially when it comes to movies. Well, especially when you're the first that thing that's like this, because I can't think of anything else that's similar to this model that you're doing. Mm -hmm. At least because like you're kind of doing a DLC thing too, where it's like you show, here's an example of what the main thing is, and then here are the pieces, the additional assets that you can kind of go play with, right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, the, the fact that there's nothing to reference has actually been really difficult. And there's there's been a, a, a ton of discussions that Stephen, not Blomkamp, Stephen St. Orno is our producer here. And my brother, Mike Blomkamp, um, is, is like, I guess, the executive producer at Oats. And all we do is sit and try to figure out strategically like where the hell we are and what we're doing. It's like unbelievable how difficult it's been to try to figure out like how to position things in a way that it stands some chance of being financially feasible going forward. And the fact that we have we don't really have any reference, so like we don't really have anywhere we can look to to see how someone may have done it before, actually uh, creates this weird mixture of 
a feeling of like, that's where I like to be, I think. I like the uncertainty of it, but it's like high levels of stress. The DLC part of it that I love, you know, if you go on Steam and you want to get the assets and you, you, hopefully we can add more stuff there, like whether it's like raw dailies or, you know, anything that the audience can think of that they may, may find value in. When you look on Steam and it says, um, you know, like more about the software as though they're treating it like a game or a piece of downloadable software. It's like just having that word written connected to film is like unbelievably interesting to me. And even if it doesn't work and it's wrong, it's still, I love the idea of fragmenting it apart and, and treating it almost like an upgradable, like it's a, a, a downloadable um, package of maps or skins or whatever it may be, you know, but it's like, how do you do that with film? I don't really know. I saw a lot of the comments, people were really blown away with the uh, River God stage two model where he had this like cool like meat armor. Yeah, his meat suit. <laughs> <laughs> it looked like something out of like Skyrim or something really cool where it's like, oh wow, that's really awesome. But then. It's really neat to go on Steam and see, oh, it's a nine gigabyte download. Is that just like a 3D Max file that you could just download? Yeah, it's exactly, it's not Max, but it is, that's exactly what it is. It's a um, very dense geometry model. Ian Spriggs, who's our main creature guy here, modeled that. I don't know what software he uses, but it's unbelievably dense. So like I, as a user though, can download that and then use that in whatever 3D yeah. program I want to? Yeah, totally. I mean, initially, I think with Raka, what we did was we didn't have rigged animatable characters. I think we would just like, we put up like one of the Clume aliens in a pose. But I think for Firebase, we actually have the River God rigged for Maya. I need to catch up with Chris, who's the supervisor here about exactly, I need to double check with him about that. But it's, it's kind of like with each successive thing, maybe you can get it closer to allowing audiences to like animate it or mess around with it. I wasn't sure if anyone even would. I was gonna say, it's an interesting merger of these two worlds because new media is, is so much about minimum viable product. Um, it's about like, can you do it with a webcam? Like, do you need a DSLR? And then from there, do you even need like to shoot on film or whatever? Like it's always these steps down. And it's very interesting that you're kind of like putting a bridge between those two worlds. If it were me in college or like me starting out trying to make like my short films and I knew that I had access to these resources, then it would have probably changed a lot of where I went in like what I tried to do. So I'm I'm genuinely curious if it's gonna change the landscape of, of like the YouTube platform um, or any of these platforms because it, it, there's just gonna be so many more tools out there, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I kind of hope so as well. I just, it's so, it's so strange to be in a situation where I just have no idea whether anyone will adopt any of it or not. I suppose that what you could, what, what you could summarize the whole company with and the whole philosophy initially, because like I keep referencing like the dumpster fire of money that we've essentially set fire to with no, perceivable way of recouping. You should anything. film that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Film that, slow-mo. <laughs> the fundamental basis of that decision, right, is based on if you try to attempt to just be as creative as you can be, and there must be someone out there that's gonna find value in that. I'm sure a whole bunch of people are gonna like rip it apart and tear it apart and knock it down, and then a, a few people are gonna be into it. So it's like creativity first, just go out and just try to do the stuff that you wanna do. Someone's gonna find something of value in it, as opposed to pre-looking it through, making sure it's gonna make money, doing it the other way. The same applies with the DLC stuff and what you're referencing with, with you know, um, an effect on, on, on how uh, young uh, wanna get into film, me as a 19 year old, people out there do with the material, it's the same philosophy. It's like, I'm not sure if people are gonna use it, I'm not sure if it's gonna work, but it's, it comes from the same place of, of just a passionate approach to film. Well, you've been doing visual effects. Uh, you were 19, right, when you started? 18 or 19, yeah. Your whole timeline has been crazy because I like I've been following your career since 
District 9 and then Halo and all that, but then it's just crazy to see like your earlier work that you had done like with commercials and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to ask, what is it, what's it like going through this path of starting small, working through Hollywood and now kind of coming back to online? Do you prefer one to the other? I definitely prefer just being able to be creative. The benefits of working in, in, in Hollywood traditionally are that you get a massive canvas because there's just tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars behind the ideas that, that you can potentially make. But it comes with what you were referencing earlier about needing to make sure that all of the cash is recouped, you know, that you're fitting into a business model that really is going to push the dollars. And that's going to affect the art. And this is the classic debate that, you know, film is the pinnacle of where commerce and art meet. Like there really isn't anything else like it. So my preference would be this. If I could choose, I would choose Oats. You know, if there's a way to make enough money with the online audience and keep doing what we're doing and scale up, make 50-minute versions of Firebase, make two-hour versions of Firebase, make seven-minute insane pieces, make 10-minute pieces, and, and the audience starts to understand that it's an umbrella of kind of weird creativity from feature film scale down to like weird short stuff. That's my preference. Correct me if I'm wrong, but to me it seems like like a lot of your career has been proof of concept. Like you've made something really cool and then you've had studios and other people see it and be like, oh man, like this is awesome. We should totally work with this, this fella. Mm -hmm. Like, do you see this as being still like in that kind of realm of proof of concept? Whereas, you know, maybe there's a short that comes and then you will work with a studio, to, like, a, a, like a universal to develop it or something like that? Or do you think that this is more insular for you? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think it, if, if, if I can't get it to work directly with, with the audience, like the way that you guys interact with, with everyone on Funhouse, right? It's like you speak directly to them. Everybody responds to the stuff you're making. You have like a one-on-one -on -one relationship. You guys just put out whatever you want. I want to do the exact same thing. So it's like, how do you do that? The problem is each of the films is millions and millions of dollars. So is it a calling card for Hollywood where it's like, I'd really like to make Firebase into a two-hour film? Not really. Like that wasn't the initial approach, you know? And we'd have to talk in here if someone approached us and it's like, Maybe there's a way to build that model where we can still keep doing what we're doing in here. Maybe, I don't know. But my feeling is you probably couldn't. It probably would change. And then it's like, it isn't what we want to do. And then we would just shut the company. Even in our situation, it's the kind of thing where once we like were successful, um, it it's drew in eyes and brands that were like, hey, we would like for you guys to do what you do, but with our brand. And, and we'll do those things with the expectation that one of them leads to 15, 20 videos where we can do whatever we want. We're very clear with our audience that it's an ad or a paid for deal and we try and make it as good as we can, but we also then do that with the expectation that this will finance X number of videos afterwards that we can just do whatever we want in. I suppose there's we're at this fork in the road where um, one version is, is Oats stays the way that it is where we make these shorter pieces and the audience maybe pays for volume two. So it's like volume one has 160 minutes. We've released about 25 minutes, I think so far. So if everyone's seen it, everyone knows what it is now. Here's volume two, it's $12.99 or whatever. Maybe that works, I don't know. That's a, that's a, a plausible way. We, still need, we would need to re-raise like millions and millions of dollars to do volume two though. But what you're describing when, when you guys say that you, you, you look at, at a particular um, product and then do a video based on it and, and adjust the way that you're doing it slightly, for 
our version of that could potentially be to do a film that's a little bit more traditional that like fits in a Blu-ray case, you know, and um, maybe at a slightly lower budget than the other stuff that I've done that pays for volume two. I mean, you probably shouldn't be asking us for business advice. <laughs> <laughs> you guys don't exist in 1986, right? Right. And Hollywood and the film studios did. So the reference would be you rather than stepping backwards. It's like, it's- Yeah, like Steve mentioned to me that kind of uh, getting into the online environment and like dealing with the internet and like how reactive it was, was something that like you're, you're, you're kind of navigating now because it's, it's, it's newer to you, right? Um, I mean, I know you've done online stuff like commercials, Halo, short, etc. It really is tough trying to deal with the immediacy of the feedback that you're getting and that. So like, is there, is there something like, have you had that kind of surreal, um, like mind blowing moment where you've had a realization of something? I think, I think the thing that has been surprising is the volume of incoming stuff. I mean, it's cool. It's kind of like what we wanted, but, um, you start realizing that it's going to be unbelievably difficult to stay on top of it and actually be able to respond enough and to curate stuff coming in as well. You're doing okay. a good job of teasing stuff because <laughs> like the puppet tweet, I'm all about puppets. You're talking about Chuckaroo, yeah. The Chuckaroo I, I don't know anything about it. I just saw the tweet that was like, would you voice these puppets or whatever? And I was like, yes, yes, I would voice the puppets, Neil Blomkamp. She's going to do that video, yeah. Chuckaroo, there's a few things that we have in here that are like, I'm not... I'm not sure whether we should we should release them like they're a little bit on it's not even that they're like uh, too, too boundary pushing or too rude or anything it's just that they're so weird but if you if you give people weirder stuff then yeah. I think that that's even you you'll be shocked by what they do with it well someone will remix it with a Katy Perry song yeah. or something like you know out of the left they'll field. take those puppets and they'll make a noir film or something <laughs> with them and you'll be like oh that's that's God. exactly that's exactly what I want with it because the material is so crazy I mean it's all voiced it's all cut it's all ready to go I think there's six episodes of Chuckaroo and I was looking at it and it's like it's bizarre definitely episode four five and six I prefer to one two and three um, but it's like uh, that's some strange shit. And like when you show it to people, initially they, they, they're like, I don't know what to make of that, dude. That's really strange. And then a few days later, people will be like, so what happens? Like, like what is episode seven? Starts to churn in their mind. But I thought that the audience voicing it may be a more interesting way of using the material than, than us just saying what our predetermined story was. Uh, that stuff is really awesome. And the fact that you can just do whatever you want to is great with, with oats. Uh, but I'm curious, You've been really close to some pretty uh, amazing properties, and I feel like every single time one comes around, the whole, the internet especially, like, gets super excited about your attachment to Halo, you know. <laughs> is this, is this uh, pre-Chappie or post-Chappie? Well, I, I mean, even, I mean, I even with Alien, I think everyone was really excited I still to think, see your take on yeah, it. Yeah, still people were excited to see you apply your vision to some sort of some sort of property. I, I'm curious how that is for you, and I don't want to. I don't want to sting any nerves or whatever. But I'm just curious how it is for you, because like obviously now you're forging your own path. I feel mm -hmm. like those kinds of things put you further away from ever doing those. The like returning to original or original IPs and what have you. But I'm curious how that feels for you. It's an interesting thing because the the idea of some of the pre-existing um, concepts out there and, and franchises out there are amazingly appealing to me, and I and I I love them. But what seems to have, you know, have transpired or what my track record seems to be is like not really that good at, at turning those um, 
franchises into something that I've ended up working on for whatever reason. And there's a there's there's a sort of dual layer to it where on one hand um, you have the situation where the fans expect a certain thing, and I've started to learn that. I may not be the best person. Like I'm gonna probably do something that they initially may not like because it's gonna maybe be quite different. And I think that's dangerous territory. But at the same time, I I love the material in the case of Halo and in the case of Alien. Um, and actually, like a lot of the stuff that's out there. I mean, the the mythology of Star Wars, Godzilla. You know, there's a lot of things that exist that are that are feel like they're amazing pieces of creativity that you could uh, go down this rabbit hole with. Like a perfect a perfect example of that, like some of my favorite films ever made are Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy. Because it's, you know, it's not really a superhero film. It's like a it's a it's a an A plus 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 crime saga. Like it's incredible. When you look at something like the density of of the mythology of Batman and how many characters you can pull from and how much data there is, you know, like just day one with a with a fresh script. That's very compelling. It's a very, very cool place to be. So I, I, I'm sort of in a place where I, some material I would love to work on, but I think ultimately I probably won't because I think it's just gonna be, it's, it's gonna be more fulfilling to do this kind of stuff, I think. I'm, I'm really jazzed that you're still working, that you're still doing stuff because the, uh, all the, the Halo stuff, um, I was always like, oh cool. I, I wanna see what this guy's gonna do. This looks amazing. And then that movie never, fucking happen so that is a perfect example of unbelievable um, material that you could that you could adapt you know it's like I the character I mean Master Chief as a character is so interesting it, it's funny because it's almost like a mistake I think in some ways and then Bungie and everybody else just added more layers to it once they realized what they had but the idea that he's this vessel that obviously was just an FPS like machine that allowed you to r run around shooting stuff but when you start reverse reverse engineering that and, and figuring out like what they've done to him and what he's like why is he fighting for the UNSC like what purpose does you know he's not even able to click into society anymore the character is really interesting the worlds are like unbelievable all of the colonies that they have so in uh, 2006 and 2007 when I was working on that I was really into Halo you know and, and I think a lot of different things conspired to collapse that project. I don't think the studio was like particularly happy with me directing it as a 26 year old back then amongst other things. Peter Jackson, I need to credit with like massive amounts of, you know, having any form of a career because he got me onto Halo. And then when Halo collapsed, he basically allowed for District 9 to happen. Hey guys, taking a quick break right here to remind you that this episode of Filmhouse is brought to you by Blue Apron, who's on a mission to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting more sustainable food systems, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Now, personally, I use Blue Apron three to four to seven times a week. It's pretty amazing. Jess and I use it all the time. I know Lawrence is on it, James and Lisa are on it. It's one of the few services that actually educates you in cooking. It's actually pretty nice that you can work with someone else in the kitchen. It's a, it's a great thing for anyone if you happen to be in a relationship or there's just someone in your family that you want to cook with. It's a really cool exercise in just working with someone else. But I do want to talk about some of the meals that are pretty damn good that you can get for pretty much for less than $10 per person. Uh, for a very, very delicious meal. There's some upcoming meals coming up, like the seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers, the creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, and the fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cabanelli pepper. And lastly, 
There's a chili butter steak with Parmesan potatoes and spinach. I will definitely be trying some of those, and you can too. By checking out blueapron.com, you can get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash filmhouse. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so do not wait. That is blueapron.com slash filmhouse, F-I-L-M-H-A-U-S, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Thank you very much to Blue Apron for the sponsorship, and now back to the interview. Because you worked at Oweta for a lot of that, right? Yeah, what happened, it was it was, it was was really funny. It's like, it's actually connected to the comment about um, about working on, on existing IP or working on my own stuff. This is how long this has been a debate for me, was I had done a live in Joburg. It was not a calling card for Hollywood. Um, I didn't think it was gonna be turned into a film, but it started to, I, I got an amazing agent, right? I have Ari Emanuel and Phil Damacourt at um, at WME, Ari Gold from Entourage yeah, is based on right? yeah. like he's, he's, he's like, Ari's awesome. So I'm, I was like 25 and and he's like, I, uh, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to, I want to do, you know, I want to do my own films. And he's like, okay, um, what do you have? And I think Phil put me in contact with Focus Films, and I actually spoke to them in New York about adapting a live in Joburg into a film. And I came out of the meeting with them, and Ari's like, Peter Jackson wants you to fly to New Zealand to talk about doing Halo. And I was like, holy shit! And I was like, in, in this, I, I was in this hotel room in New York, and I was like. Okay, this is, I, I, I like ran it through in my head and I was like, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna go to New Zealand knowing that I've kind of made this mental commitment to only work on my own stuff. And I'm gonna see Weta and then I'm just gonna forget all of that and I'm just gonna do something that pre-exists, you know, and make Halo. And I was like, but you mustn't do that. You must just go there to look at Weta and how cool it is and meet Peter Jackson. Don't commit to doing something that isn't your own. Don't let him seduce you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So like I landed and then within six minutes, I couldn't even remember the notion of doing like a live in Joburg. It was just like, Jesus, I need to like work on this. <laughs> You're like the king, just all withered and white. And you're yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, it was pretty much exactly what happened. But I walked around, um, I met Richard Taylor and I walked around Weta with with Peter and stuff. And I was just like, I couldn't believe what he'd created down there and the level of creativity and, you know, so I was just, that was it. And then um, Terry and Cassidy, like, you know, moved down. My family basically moved to New Zealand. We lived there for a year, worked super hard on Halo. And then the rug just got pulled out from underneath us. And that was the end of it. For me as like a Halo fan, I don't, I don't know if you read the the Fall of Reach novel where yeah. they kind of like, like yeah, all that, all that, there's a really lot of interesting backstory about like, Chief, like I want to see Chief as a kid you know, that's like, that's the stuff that we were focusing on. That's exactly what we were focusing on, and and reach, and basically like the, the origin story. I suppose is the best way to summarize it. Was that like in Alex in Alex Garland's script? No, I never read Alex Garland's. I, I never was somehow. I never. I it just never happened. Um, so I actually don't know exactly what was in that version. It felt mostly like an adaptation of the first game, which I don't know. I'm I'm a big Alex Garland fan, but I imagine Microsoft said do this, and he went okay. I. I guess when they had this novel that was pretty amazing, pretty good sci-fi, I thought, yeah. to be made into a movie of like these kids who are kidnapped at six years old to become super soldiers. That's a cool movie. No, it's super cool. I mean, that is that's that was definitely like you know the 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 way into it for us was exactly that. And Halsey with the fact that those are basically her children, you know, and um, you know everyone that dies she's like scarring herself essentially so i mean yeah there was a ton of awesome stuff in there but no i didn't read alex garland's one and 
ultimately it was sort of baptism by fire for me where it's like you remember the 80 crew members that are working right now and like the vehicles you built and all the armor and all that shit that wet is making yeah okay that's all done pack your bags go back to canada yeah and it's like whoa, 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 whoa wait wait what with alien you were not that deep into any process right or you were building stuff no 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 there was there was no level of pre-production at all um it was only it was only uh, script development. I basically worked on Alien for um, about, you know, I met Sigourney on Chappie, and I, I had a different idea for an Alien film that I wanted to make. I mean, that's probably my favorite franchise, I suppose. If, I, I hate the word franchise. I hate anything that quantifies things financially. But I was obsessed with Alien and Aliens, uh, and they probably made me want to get into film. And and then so I had this idea for a story set set in the world of those two first films that was not a continuation of James Cameron's. It was just in the world of it. And it had a, it had a totally different character that was the lead character. Be, because my assumption was Sigourney just would never make another one. And and then I told her about it on Chappie, and she was like, no, 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 I, I actually would make another one because I felt like Ripley's story didn't end correctly. So I, I, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's amazing. So I went back to Vancouver, and while I was editing Chappie, I started to think about what I would do with Sigourney as basically a sequel to, to James Cameron's film. And um, I spent about a year working out on it with only Sigourney knowing. And I hired, I hired one really awesome concept artist and then um, who basically put, we, we put together essentially a script and all the artwork. And that's what I went to 20th Century Fox with. And they seemed really into it. And then Ridley came on as a producer and then it just, you know, unraveled. It's very difficult to speak about on several levels because um, it, it it's it's like Ridley it, it you know Ridley created Alien it was something that inspired me deeply I got into film because of it everything that happened with my script and with you know the way the film collapsed it's like it's hard to talk about it without it seeming like I'm kind of bashing him which is like one of my idols to get into film do you know what I mean it's a it's a super strange psychological place but films go down in Hollywood all the time. And it's like, that's just essentially, I think, what happened. And it sucks for me. And it, it, it part, it, it's not that it sucks for Sigourney. I mean, it's not gonna make any difference to her, but I think that she, she really did like the story because it allowed Ripley to, it really felt like a cool third film. It's cool to see that you're still working with her. Uh, she was obviously in the first short from uh, from Oak Rock Studios, um, but it's funny because Elise and I were listening to a podcast from when was this? It would have been from a couple of years ago, and they were celebrating the oh, like, the twentieth anniversary yeah. or twenty fifth anniversary of Alien at Comic Con, and the whole cast was there. Yeah, it was it was the thirtieth. It was the thirtieth anniversary. Thirtieth, yeah. And so, and Sigourney was on the panel, and she, well, someone asked her a question about doing more, and she was like, "Well, actually, <laughs> I have this amazing story, and an amazing filmmaker is going to be." She was like super complex, and it's. It's it's evident she's referring to the film that you were you were you were pitching for her and concepting out, and she seemed really excited for it. And then, but it was bittersweet listening to that podcast and knowing yeah. the fate of it. Um, but I'm glad that you could still extend that relationship into other things. When it became pretty evident that Alien was going to melt and burn up and disintegrate, um, she was like, "What? I'm you know, what else are you doing? Like, I'm I'm just sort of curious." And I was like, well, we're building this extremely strange experimental studio in Vancouver, and I'm working on a bunch of these short films. 
And she was like, what, what do you mean? Like, what kind of stuff? So I sent her Raka, the script, um, as an example. And I think I sent her some other scripts as well, like some of the comedy ones. And uh, her, the character that she plays, who is Jasper, was actually, um, was already cast. It was a friend of mine who was going to play, he was going to play her role. And she was like, this is amazing. I want to be in this. I'll just be Jasper. <laughs> and I was like, uh, okay, well, obviously the answer is yes. And then I had to phone Jason and be like, dude, um, Sigourney took your role. Yeah, he's like, okay. Yeah, okay. and then the, my favorite part was he tried to talk me out of it. He was like, nah, it's a bad idea. But he was like, I, it's like, Come really, on, it actually is a good idea, Jay. That's um, cool, because like Ripley was written neither for a man nor a woman. Yeah, it was very similar to that. Yeah, it was strange. I, I know you said before, like, that work, like working with famous actors, like, you don't care how famous somebody is. It's not really what you're into. Um, like, is there something different about, so, I mean, I don't even think I need to ask, is there something different about Sigourney Weaver? Cause I kind of think she's like a queen. Um, <laughs> but is there something different to you personally that I, she doesn't remember this, but I think I met her, I met her in, um, when I was doing Halo in about 07 because she was in New Zealand for Avatar. And I was, I, there was like a party at, at one of the houses that was like where a bunch of film people were there and I, and I met her and I was like, holy shit, like, I can't believe this is actually Ripley. And I told her, I reminded her about that later and she was like, oh yeah, I think I remember. But, um, but it was, it, 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 there's a place, I think, in my psyche where working with her is kind of a big deal. But I, I've been pretty lucky though. I mean, I have a massive sort of, uh, the amount of respect that I have for her is, is is similar to how I felt about working with Jodie Foster on Elysium. The difference is like Jodie is just not, I don't think she's very stoked with that film, you know, but it's like she's, she, there's something similar about her as well where I just felt like the, these people are as well known as they are because there is something really incredible about them. Are you familiar with like YouTube Red uh, with that platform? If YouTube came to you and said, here's X amount of dollars, you can cast whoever you want, would you, and uh, say like Microsoft came to the table too and said, we want you to make a short Halo film again, go nuts. Do you think you would say yes to that? Or even even if it was, if it was, a, if it was an online exclusive, is that something, even if it, if it was like an alien thing and they said, it's not gonna be in theaters, it's online only, it's already paid for, you don't need to worry about anything, and it's a done deal, all you have to do is show up to set tomorrow, would you do it? But those those are two separate questions though, right? The YouTube Red thing is, is separate from what, like you're basically saying if, if if Microsoft came to you and said, will you do another bunch of Halo shorts that we just put online and you can do it through Oats? That's your question essentially, right? Kind of, oh, I just mean like... I just, it, what do you it, think it, of YouTube Red? Well, <laughs> well yeah, it would probably be like a joint venture because Microsoft has to say yes, right? Because they own the IP. And then YouTube says, we'll bankroll it. Uh, Microsoft doesn't need to pay anything. Yeah. And they say, use your studio um, and you know, we'll, we'll look at the edits, but you do your thing. It doesn't have to be a series of short films, it could be its own movie. Because I mean, I think at this point, like Halo is a good example where Halo fever is at an all time low. Like, and that's coming from a person who's been a Halo fan for over a decade. And like, I, I feel like this is- I mean, I, like, I, this I, yes, the answer time. is yes. The answer is, is, the answer is completely yes. Like being creative inside this company in a way that we could um, connect with and merge with, uh, IP that exists already, something like Halo, but that allowed us to do it our way, which I think is more cost effective and is more creative to me. I'll do any day of the week, you know. I, that I, ironically, that's actually how we made 
the those Halo pieces that I worked on, that's actually how they were made. It's very interesting because I'd like I'd done other commercials before, and those were totally different. They Microsoft basically just deposited the budget and then we just handed them back the film. Under those circumstances, I will do a lot of stuff because it's just it's cool. Twist, they want you to make it in 3D. And and they have to be Muppets. <laughs> oh yeah. Like a puppet, a puppet version of Halo. That could be interesting. I don't know if you've seen the other two Halo live action adaptations that they've done, but they've been like a giant bag of meh. Like, and they're very clean, and they're they're completely opposite from Landfall from the stuff you made, and they're not that great. I haven't. I have not actually seen them. I think yeah. RSA produced one of them, but no, I haven't seen them yet. Yeah, they're just they're very. They look like they're they should be on the Sci Fi Channel. If if someone someone told me tomorrow, I said Neil Blomkamp's doing a gritty. Uh, adaptation of Fall of Reach, or just a short series of like a series of like a, a Band of Brothers ODST style thing, I'd lose my shit. I'd be like, that that's the greatest thing in the world. I don't know. That that is very creatively um, attractive, you know, to me. I, I would I would love to do that as long as the circumstances feel like it's the other stuff that we were making in here. I would be there every day of the week. You've you've talked about before how you play like a lot of like Half-Life 2 online and stuff like that. Like, do you, do you still find time to play video games at all or are you just so busy with Oats? At Oats, we play uh, CSGO. Like, um, we, it seems in summer it's kind of died off, but it's usually like every Friday it starts turning into like, I, I love that whole kind of an entire office playing and killing one another um, vibe. And that, that was um, the Half-Life 2 deathmatch stuff was how we did that. That was back at a different VFX company that I was at when I was directing commercials. And, um, I, that, I love that shit. Like when you're right with everyone in the same kill box and everybody's dying. So I play, I, I would describe myself as like, CSGO is kind of a staple. And then um, I, I'll flirt with like downloading games and, and playing with them, but very quickly. It's interesting, like my relationship to it seems to be, like an example would be in I think 95 or 94, I played Myst, which like blew my mind, right? And it probably to some degree got me into visual effects or into the idea of 3D graphics and 3D environments. And a, a, some of how I think I interact with games is kind of like that. Like I really love the new Doom. So I'll download that, I'll play Doom for a bit. And then I start realizing I'm like, shit, the motion blur at like 60 FPS is incredible. Like I love how light this feels. I, I love how you know it looks. I love the tone of it. I love this like insane music, this heavy metal that they have. And that my interaction with it is almost like on that kind of level. Does that make sense? It's not like I'm pl I'm playing it to just sort of play the campaign or whatever, and then it's over. So I think I drop out of them. I kind of see what it's like and then get out of them. A new game that I just checked out that's amazing is Inside, and I think I'm like a little bit late to checking that out. But that kind of thing is incredible. I found Fez weirdly because it's the whole indie vibe of that. There was some strange, maybe it was the soundtrack. Thing that that had an effect on me. I mean, there's other. There, it, it feels like in the last few years it's dropped off just because I've been so busy. I, I was gonna say you should try Little Nightmares. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you liked Inside. Um, this is a game that, like, even for I, I try and play a lot, but this is a game that stood out narratively and and also visually, like in terms of what it does with like a minimal kind of visual style. It's similar to Inside. Yeah. It's, I'll check that out. I've never heard of that before. I mean, I like indie games. Because uh, I like the variety and the, and I feel like developers take more chances and more creativity with them But also just like you were saying like for the time aspect You're able to finish a game in like three hours. So that's kind of a win mm -hmm. So yeah. I ended up playing mm -hmm. a lot of indies right now at Oats We're working on a project inside unity, right? We have our own motion capture stage here 
And um, so we've mocapped actors. We're dropping them into Unity. Everything is real time. There's like an entire real time division, I suppose, of of talented game artists that are essentially making this short cinematic piece that will not be a game. But the fact that it's real time, the fact that like all of the geometry and and you know the shadows and the lights and everything is happening at 60 fps is super intriguing to me. And when you start adding sound like three dimensional sound and you start um, building this environment that you're like putting the audience member into, that's the thing that I'm attracted to. The combination of like all senses and being placed in a world that doesn't exist except virtually. I love that. Thank you for taking a, an hour to talk to us about yeah. uh, Very much. everything. Let me shout things about Halo at you. <laughs> I think all of us are really excited about Oat Studio. Absolutely. And the things, things you're trying to do, uh, you know, from all ki- all sides of perspectives, being in this side of the industry, but then also with an affinity for film and, and the creative potential of it all. Yeah, I think just shaking things up is exciting. Uh, yeah, I have, to, I have to say thanks to you guys because everything that we're doing requires it getting out there, you know, and, and, and people that have reached like you talking about it is very helpful to me. So thank you. We have like a community that has so many creative and talented people in it too that send us things that they make with, mm-hmm. with like they'll take things from our videos and make them and that's a totally different yeah. scale. I'm, I'm excited for like our artists to learn about this and mm-hmm. right. see what if I, any of them pursue it. Also, I would be remiss without mentioning that one of our like biggest community members she's been following us forever uh her name's katie and she i think she's purchased chappy about probably about 10 times in all different in all different mediums so like she has a chappy tattoo and she she absolutely loves chappy that that film behaves i swear to god it behaves so differently to everything else that i have ever worked on like i get people people like uh privately instagram me stuff of like chappy tattoos like on their back and like tons and tons of shit. Have you guys seen that chappy bike built out of that KTM motorcycle? No. no. <laughs> like there's no such thing as the as a District 9 motorbike, you know what I mean? Or like an Elysium motorbike. It behaves, that film is like generally hated and then it's got the most insane undercurrent of people tattooing him onto a body part. It's a very bizarre project. I do think inherently it's kind of an underdog story, but not necessarily an underdog story that everyone can relate to. But I think the people that that found exactly what they were looking for in Chappie are like, they're they're chap heads. Um, There's like eight of them too, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, regardless of criticism or anything, I'm just, I'm glad you're doing what you want to do Mm -hmm. uh, in a medium that you uh, have found a way to thrive. So uh, please just keep making cool stuff for us to watch and- Okay, uh, I'll send you the puppets. Cool, awesome Neil, well thank you so much. Thanks guys, okay cool, cheers. Thank Thank you. Bye.